You're listening to The Gay Pro, where we empower gay business professionals from any industry to love who they are and love what they do. I'm your host, Omar Alexis Ochoa. Let's get into it. Today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Laura McGuire, an expert in sexual health education and an author who is paving the way for organizations to build safer and more inclusive environments for everyone. Dr. McGuire is going to talk to us today about their work in sexual health education and building a trauma-informed workplace. But before diving into today's discussion, let me give a brief introduction. Dr. Laura McGuire is an expert in sexual health education who has published two books on the subjects of consent and sexual misconduct. They have worked in sexual violence prevention across the public and private sectors, as well as within academia. Dr. McGuire is also the creator of the world's very first professional certifications in trauma-informed care, which are arming organizations with the knowledge to create safe, respectful, and empowering environments for everyone. They earn their doctors of education at Fielding Graduate University and currently own a consulting practice, which focuses on teaching organizations how to approach these topics as well as diversity and inclusion. Thanks so much for joining me today, Dr. McGuire. Really appreciate your time. And I'm excited to jump into today's conversation. How's your day going? Me too. Oh, it's it's going pretty well. And I'm really excited for this. Also, I love talking about business and being a LGBTQ plus person. And I'm glad we get to talk about the intersections here. Yeah, definitely. So I want to start this conversation with a pretty basic question. But what does trauma-informed mean? That is a great question. So, and it's probably one of the most common ones I get, right? Because if folks don't know, that is one of the key areas that I create certifications for in different industries around. And it's a broad concept. You can read a dozen books, a dozen articles, and each will mm -hmm. give you a different angle on what its definition would be. But I've come up with three key components that I think best explain what it is and how it's executed. So number one, it is understanding, simply understanding and knowing the depth and breadth of trauma in the world around us. Really having that deep perspective on how big this experience and problem is in our world. And then it is taking that knowledge and approaching every single person you meet as a survivor. So not requiring someone to come up and say, I've been through something really awful. Mm -hmm. I've survived a lot of intense things in my life. We don't need to know that, right? We can just approach everybody with that same level of care and compassion. And then last but not least, it is reframing inside of ourselves the question, why are they like this? <laughs> so why is someone really grumpy? Why are they rude? Why are they difficult to work with? Why do they always forget things? Why do they cry all the time? Instead of asking why, 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 we want to internally ask ourselves, I wonder what happened and remain curious as to their story. And again, how by trying to better understand them, 
we can mm-hmm. approach them in ways that are more productive. Yeah. Wow. Well, very well put. This uh, definitely sounds like an approach that can really be applied anywhere. I feel like typically when you hear something like trauma-informed, my mind immediately jumps to maybe like a more clinical setting, a medical slash psychiatric sort of realm, but definitely sounds like these are three really clear and intentional sorts of approaches and practices that can be applied really anywhere. So how do you think these practices can take shape in a non-clinical workplace or just space? So I am very fortunate to be able to answer that based on uh, the work that I'm doing, because that's exactly the issue we've had for a long time is trauma-informed care came from the social sciences, was primarily applied for therapists and social workers, Mm -hmm. case managers, and then really made its way into schools and medical settings. But there's a lot of other places where trauma is very present, right? And so, uh, again, taking that knowledge, but not only saying, hey, here's the basic components of it, but what does Mm -hmm. it look like based on your field? So we've been doing this a lot with attorneys, with insurance companies, um, with other corporate environments where they might be supporting someone in a really difficult chapter of their life. Mm-hmm. But they don't have this knowledge base. They're not getting this in their MBA or in law school. And so they're, you know, like, okay, how, how do I apply this to what I do? And really making it specific to their industry. Because uh, a lot of people have maybe taken classes on emotional uh, intelligence mm-hmm. or uh, even customer service, right? People invest a lot of time and money into those. But really, this is a deeper next level to all of those more familiar components. Wow. Well, that sounds like a really interesting way to start melding a lot of these more clinical approaches and applying them into our everyday lives. And I definitely agree with you that there's trauma really everywhere. You'll see it in certain manifestations where you'll have certain idiosyncrasies or personalities in the workplace, and all of these are valuable and approaching them with that perspective, I think can really make for a more empathetic sort of world in general. So one question I have for you is how did you get involved in this space? I know that your background is quite varied. You've written books, you specialized in uh, sexual health education and consulting with all of these organizations as well. How did you get started on building this certification for building trauma-informed workplaces? So I really got started way back when I was a classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, My first ever teaching job was in a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, Believe it or not, they still exist. And it was really interesting. It was not a very trauma-informed school, but it Mm -hmm. was full of teen parents who really needed that. Um, And so I then started working at a school that was partnered with with the Department of Juvenile Justice. And that school trained us on trauma-informed care. And I did really well there. And I moved up uh, less than a year in to their kind of corporate office, their headquarters, and started creating trainings uh, for all of the teachers and counselors and uh, mid-level managers, executive directors, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And made this a focus of my research when I was getting my doctorate. And then have continued to 
weave the this theory into the work that is more more clearly in need of it, right? The sexual misconduct prevention, diversity, equity, and inclusion. But now being able to take those pieces and bring it into these other environments has been really amazing to see. In terms of how these clients and folks that you've worked with in the past, how do you approach these conversations? Do they come to you? Do you reach out to them? How do you find a right fit for a business or practice that is looking for trauma-informed certification and care? So I've been very fortunate that everyone we've certified, so in our certification program is obviously the most in-depth. Mm-hmm. They've all uh, reached out to to me and said, I hear you're doing something like this. You know, can you do this for us? Can you customize this to us or our industry? And I, I love getting those calls or emails because I'm like, yes, this is going to be amazing and interesting. And yeah. I, I always like pushing myself to my growth edge and saying, okay, what, what industry don't I know a lot about, but who needs this? How can I grow and understand them better? And so they've reached out and a lot of it too is then getting the publicity, getting the exposure because, and I, all business owners will relate to this, right? You have this amazing product. You have something that people are super in need of and want and Mm -hmm. are sitting around saying, if only this existed. And you're like, I exist. I'm right here. (laughs) (laughs) So it's finding that balance of where are the places where people are going to know this is available to them. And then, uh, and then getting them to connect with you so you can start making a plan for that. And it definitely sounds like something like these workshops and the certification uh, is something that can have a direct impact on an organization's internal satisfaction, uh, as mm-hmm. well as just an overall impact on their approach to diversity and inclusion. And those, I think, are important traits that a lot of organizations, especially in the corporate world, uh, are in dire need of, but also have some direct correlation with their internal KPIs, where we'll see uh, you know, better job satisfaction, higher retention rates, stronger marketplace performance. So within your consulting work with some of these businesses uh, and organizations, uh, how have you seen this education make an impact on their, their organization or their performance? Yeah, I... I see it primarily on two very distinct levels. And mm-hmm. the first one is, of course, that forward-facing piece of how they're able to serve their customers or clients better. Right. And it's great because it's education. It's not that you have to download software every year or you have to keep up with you know some appliance that you're bringing in. It's just really having that solid foundation of knowledge and then also continually refreshing that and building on that. So that creates this environment where their their customers are so much more satisfied with them, want to be retained with them, want to refer out for them. They become, you know, their best marketing because they're like, these people are treating me so different. And then the other side of it too is internally where teams, departments are really able to communicate and respond and support each other so much more effectively. And that leads to lower turnover rates, lower Mm -hmm. issues with burnout. And it also makes them a really attractive organization for people just leaving college, you know, as Gen Z is entering the workforce, they're looking for companies who are invested in things like 
being an industry leader in trauma-informed care. That's something they're familiar with. And so this is really benefiting them from all of those different perspectives. Yeah. No, that makes total sense, especially from the recruitment perspective. I feel like organizations uh, today, oftentimes you'll hear uh, in this sort of post-COVID work environment, it's definitely more of a job seekers world, plenty of options out there as organizations are looking to rebuild their workforces and kind of optimize for remote work, et cetera. So I think that makes a ton of sense. Through your consulting work, what would you say has been an uphill climb or, or resistance that you've gotten in terms of working with them to implement some of these practices? Do you find there are some parts of the organization or ways of doing things that are hard to let go of? Yes. And I think a lot of it is generational divides. Mm -hmm. So just talking about the trauma-informed care in and of itself, people who have been in an industry for decades saying, mm -hmm. listen, nobody cared about my feelings for the past 40 years. <laughs> you yeah. know, nobody asked me, how are you feeling? What's your childhood trauma, right? Nobody, right. nobody, you know, paid that any attention. Why should I do that now for someone else, right? And I think that's an important feeling for people to feel in process because mm -hmm. they're right. It, it isn't fair and it, it was really hard. And and sometimes there's kind of a feeling of like animosity of, well, why do they have to have it so much better than me? Right. Um, and the other thing is we talk a lot, whether it's trauma-informed care, my work in sexual harassment, sexual misconduct prevention, or DEI, we, we talk about the intersections of how inclusion impacts trauma, how it's a vital part of our conversations on inclusion to talk about uh, all of these other areas of violence and crisis. And that's also an area we get pushback. Well, why are we learning about pronouns when I'm supposed to be learning about trauma? Mm -hmm. Well, why do I have to care about identity if I'm here to learn about sexual harassment, right? And it's like, if, if you already know that those are totally connected, you, you would say, well, of course, because it makes sense, because they are all intersectional. But again, for maybe people who are coming from a generation where these are all new conversations, there can be a lot of confusion or hesitancy or feeling like, oh, this is part of some big agenda that I didn't sign up for. Yeah, definitely. And you yourself as a queer person and, and thought leader in this space, uh, I think are uniquely positioned to really communicate about this and uh, interface with folks on this topic. So how would you say your experience in the queer community has uniquely prepared you or informed you to be able to approach these conversations as an expert? Oh, I love that question. I think that it prepares you in the sense of you know, anyone who's ever come out and many of us have come out as many different things throughout our life or mm -hmm. in many different ways that we've had to do these really deep dives on understanding ourselves, on understanding what words mean when we relate to the world and we describe our experience. And so we have that understanding, hopefully that humility, that even for experiences that we don't have uh, a lived platform to be speaking from that mm. this, this still really matters, right? Because I understand different aspects of that journey. And so that, that comes into everything that you do. And I think also it's interesting kind of as someone who 
especially throughout my life, has passed as many different things that are more privileged, I am privy to a lot of interesting conversations <laughs> that, especially in corporate uh, or higher ed environments, people mm-hmm. don't think they're speaking to someone who is part of the community. Right. And so they'll say all kinds of stuff. And that's really good information because I can say, listen, this is still, this is still a huge issue. This is still something we need to invest in addressing because here's what people are really saying when they think no one's taking it in. Right. Exactly. And having that, I guess, insider perspective uh, is definitely a great area to work from, uh, especially as you approach uh, other conversations with these uh, external organizations uh, you mentioned, attorney practices, etc. So I want to pivot just a little bit over into the books that you've written. Uh, I know that you have two books currently, the first one being Creating Cultures of Consent, and the other being the Sexual Misconduct Prevention Guidebook. So can you just talk to me a bit about those books, uh, why you uh, focused in on those particular topics and how it's uh, been relevant to the work that you've been doing? Absolutely. So post-doc, I started the first Sexual Misconduct Prevention and Response or Prevention Education Program for the University of Houston, and then ended up doing that work for other organizations afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so really became deeply embedded in Title IX and these different topics we were having for the first time, really, uh, around consent, around, how again, all those intersectional pieces, how different survivors experience these things and need different kinds of support and face different barriers. And so I really became someone who was known as, as an expert in this field And the first book I wrote for parents and teachers who were especially seeing everything that was going on with the Me Too movement and cared about it, wanted to be part of the change, but really didn't know where to start. Mm -hmm. And so that book was, is, is really positioned from the standpoint of 101. You're just getting into this. You need that foundational information, but you want to start applying it to the conversations you're having with your kids or your students. And we talk about queerness in there. And we talk about how being LGBTQ plus inclusive and an ally is directly uh, integral to preventing misconduct and understanding consent. And then the second book is more for the professionals who are working in this field, especially in higher education or in the military, and really want to have that deeper understanding want to really see all of the history and, again, kind of multi-layered perspectives on what's been done right and what's not been done so well or what Mm -hmm. has had a poor impact and how do they improve that. Wow. Well, that sounds like it definitely covers a lot of bases from the perspective of some of that 101, as well as the more expert professional level. Those two books, what have been some of the feedback or reviews or anything that you've gotten that have really stuck with you so far? Hmm. I think some of the feedback that I've gotten that's been really helpful is how action oriented they are Mm. and how people who are in, in those different spaces have found that really helpful, right? Because it's not just a ton of theory. It's also very focused on 
And here's what you can directly do with this today. And I think that's the most important piece. Yeah, definitely. That's so important, especially as you mentioned, for many people, this can be the first time that they're broaching this topic either in their own life or in their professional environment. So having those more intentional action-oriented recommendations are going to be really critical. Absolutely. Amazing. So you mentioned being a seminarian and being interested in approaching this conversation from a spiritual perspective as well. How do you think those two topics will intermingle and why do you think that's important? I think it's important because... Well, a lot of different reasons. Let's start with let's start with the first one. Oh, uh, I think that growing up, I was raised between Southern Baptists and Catholic families. I got both. Most people only get one or the other. I got both. Mm. And so religion played a huge part in my my life and the way that I understood sexuality and the way that I understood relationships and understood uh, interpersonal violence or lack thereof in understanding it. And so when I started doing this work, I kept coming back to how spiritual messages, religious messages, or misunderstandings really perpetuated these patterns of harm whether it was making people feel intense shame for their sexuality or gender identity or making them stay in toxic or abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that had to be addressed in more depth. And so I wanted to understand it better for myself. I wanted to be able to have really good answers for when people came to me and said, well, but you know, this religious text says I wanted to not just say, well, I, I think you're incorrect, mm -hmm. but to have a real, a real position to kind of stand on and, and push back against that. And then the other thing is, especially as a survivor, but even as a, a queer non-binary person, I did not find a lot of faith leaders that I could connect with and talk to. Mm -hmm. There are many out there who are doing this work, but at least in my local area, someone I could connect to in person. And so I really wanted to make sure that was more widely available. And one of my goals in the future is to be able to provide more what we call pastoral counseling to individuals who want to talk through this with somebody who can speak as a faith leader. So if they're coming out and they're saying, I just have to talk to someone with that authority to know that God's really okay with me to be that person. Or if somebody's saying, I need to know where God is when I'm being abused or my family isn't safe. They, I want to be that person. So that's mm. that's really where I see it having this direct applicability. I think that's so important, especially from the perspective uh, of the queer community, because I think oftentimes, at least in my experience living in Los Angeles, the community here is, I think, oftentimes a lot more agnostic or or atheist for one reason or another. The interaction that a lot of queer people have with their experience in religion, they sometimes feel like maybe it's not for them. And I think that certainly doesn't have to be the case, especially for folks who are coming out, but also have a strong family connection or spiritual connection to a particular faith. And making that connection, I think, is uh, really just as important. Yes, yes. And 
Uh, there was someone who recently spoke on this and said, you know, this is one of the first things you lose when you come out mm-hmm. is your ability to connect to whatever your image of God has been. And that's that's horrible because that is not for anyone or any community to define or take away. Mm-hmm. But it is true. It becomes really hard to find spaces where you can worship in the ways that feel good to you or read a holy text from a perspective that isn't going to invalidate who you are and your identity. So the more conversation we have, the better. No, I think this was fantastic. So before signing off, just wanted to see if there was anything else that you wanted to mention or just highlight to anyone listening that might be curious or interested in learning more about trauma-informed care, whether it's in a clinical setting or just in their workplaces. Yes. Well, I would definitely say, you know, there are so many books out there that are really good on this. Um, Everything from investigating more on polyvagal theory to spoon theory and uh, books like The Body Keeps the Score, which is kind of like the ultimate beginner Mm -hmm. entry point into this. But if you want to learn more about my work specifically, you can visit my company's website at equityandagency.com, all spelled out. Or about me, you can visit Dr. Dr. Laura, L-A-U-R-A, McGuire, M-C-G-U-I-R-E.com. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated this. Thank you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. Again, my name is Amar Alexis Ochoa, but you can call me Lex. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at OMRLXS and check out our website, thegaypro.com, for more queer content.